Radioactive plugs you into the community weeknights at 6. I'm Laura Jones, and your support means Radioactive can keep passing the mic to people and nonprofits making a difference, like Fridays for Future Climate Strikers. Uproot the system basically means that we want to reorganize and drastically change the political, social, and economic systems. Radiothon starts October 29th. Help us to keep plugging you into the community by making your donation online at krcl.org. Only love will save this place. Only love. Tycho and Benjamin Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie doing that song for you. A great one to start Radioactive tonight. Ahead of that, eBay Hamilton wrapping up another afternoon drive for KRCL. Thanks, eBay. I'm Laura Jones, plugging you into the community with conversations and a playlist to match. Tonight on the show, it's Youth Justice Action Month. We're going to find out more as we dig into who's helping kids in Utah courts, a new report from Voices for Utah Children. There is good news when it comes to kids getting legal representation more often than not, but as the report will play out, there's room to improve, especially on the digital divide, rapport among legal counsel judges and youth, and translation services. Another edition of Meet the DJ coming up tonight. Barbie Garcia, who hosts Vagabond Radio on Tuesday nights. Stay tuned to find out why Paris is her go-to musical touchstone and destination to recharge. On Monday's show, Radioactive celebrated Indigenous Peoples Day with some help from activist Dave John. He's part of Pandos and Salt Lake City Air Protectors, but he's also been doing something during COVID every Saturday to help out folks living on the streets. And I wanted you to hear about it from him. Uh, actually, it's in uh, Salt Lake City. Uh, we have a lot of unsheltered relatives in Salt Lake City. There was an abatement today up at the river. Uh, it was sad that one of the ladies there, I mean, uh, it, it's just the frustrations that's finally getting to them because they've been pushed. Every time they stop somewhere, you know, the cops will come, threaten them with arresting them uh, and tell them to move. Uh, if they set up a tent, you know, they might get cited or get a ticket. Uh, so the city is just making it worse. Uh, you have Mendenhall that makes it sound like she's really have all these resources. And she actually postponed uh, another shelter that was planned on in, by the baseball park. Yeah, they're, they're wrangling between the state and the different entities that run our now much smaller resource system for folks who are unsheltered. And so how can folks help your Our Unsheltered Relatives project? How can they reach out to you? Um, usually we uh, do a feeding every Saturday. Uh, so uh, we, yeah, so usually we try to set up at, uh, we try to follow the biggest camp uh, that we set up, cook like a home cooked meal for them because uh, they get tired of just P&B sandwiches, uh, Little Caesars pizza. And just a comment we had last week from a lady was, uh, it's nice to have a home cooked meal. And man, that, that stuck in my mind. And because last week we did a chicken Alfredo with a salad and uh, some fruit. Uh, so, but yeah, I usually post a, a menu of what we're going to be cooking that weekend. 
And then people from the community communities helped out a lot where they've actually donated these items on the menu or either uh, did monetary donations for us to purchase, you know, supplies like plates, uh, propane, um, so and and food. So it's really good how Salt Lake City has helped out. Where can we send people to catch up with you online? Uh, I got a page. Uh, we started it's ours o u r apostrophe s dash r unsheltered relatives. Uh, that's on Facebook, and also or either by me, you know, Dave John. I usually post a, a menu and then share it with the ours page. Dave John of Our Unsheltered Relatives. Check tonight's show notes for a link, and if you can lend a hand, I'm sure he and those he helps would really appreciate it. Coming up next, Youth Justice Action Month and Voices for Utah Children. New census data is out, and it's that once-in-a-decade time to redraw political boundaries. Find interactive tools and a schedule of public hearings online at uirc.utah.gov. Utahns have kept KRCL plugged in for decades. Listener support keeps the music blasting and your head banging, your body bopping, your toes tapping, and your heart full. Turn it up and show your love for KRCL with a gift of support at krcl.org. Thanks. I'm Laura Jones, and you're listening to Radioactive. October is Youth Justice Action Month, and to find out what that means and what's happening— as well as dig into the latest report from Voices for Utah Children about who's helping kids in Utah courts, let's pass the microphone. My name is Martin Munoz, and I am the Kids Count Data Analyst at Voices for Utah Children. Hi, everyone. My name is Alicia Derriso. I am the Racial and Ethnic Disparities Coordinator for the Commission on Criminal and Juvenile Justice. My name is Liliana, and I'm a bilingual legal aide at Lutheran Family Services Rocky Mountains. Hi, everyone. My name is Fanny De Lucas, and I participated as a court observer for the project. I'm Anna Thomas. I'm a senior policy analyst at Voices for Utah Children. Anna, it's been a while since we've seen each other, and thank you for helping to put together this great panel discussion we're going to have this hour. And by way of a reminder for our listeners, can you explain Voices for Utah Children and what you folks do in our fine community? So Voices for Utah Children is a nonprofit, nonpartisan policy advocacy organization. We advocate for a number of different issues that affect children throughout the state. So through legislation, by working with government agency partners, basically to make life better for kids and their families. Did I leave anything out, Martine? Nope. Everything. That's perfect. Okay. Good. <laughs> What's the website, Anna? Let's get that out early. Utahchildren.org. And it is so beautifully remade recently by our new communications director, Lanetta Fittisimano. And so everyone should go and check it out. Great. We'll put a link in tonight's show notes. Now, Voices for Utah Children over the summer released a new report, Who's Helping Kids in Utah Courts? It's a report on Utah's system for ensuring that all children appearing in juvenile delinquency court are represented by a defense attorney. And we have a great panel to dig into this report, which also our conversation falls during Youth Justice Action Month. And I'm really excited to dig into this with um, all all y'all. But Martine and Alicia, I understand that the two of you in particular are working and are part of the planning group 
for Youth Justice Action Month. What is that? And is there a theme this year? Martine or Alicia? I'll take it away. So um, just to explain what YJAM, Youth Justice Action Month, is. Oh, I like that as the acronym. YJAM. Yeah. Oh, yes. We love a good um, acronym. But it's it, it's um, an action month that brings awareness to, encourages, and inspires action on behalf of young people that have or are currently impacted by the juvenile justice system. And in Utah, we have been doing um, this celebration acknowledgement for about seven years now. This will be our seventh year. Um, And our theme this year is, and yet we rise. We have, and are still going through a really interesting time in our United States history and, in our state's history. So we uh, wanted to highlight specifically in our juvenile justice, uh, some of the positives that they have overcome or have worked through throughout the last 18 months that, that we've been in. So uh, we will be highlighting and promoting um, the positives in various parts of the juvenile justice system. We'll be awarding some awards to our uh, emerging leaders and our youth advocates So we're really excited. We'll also be talking about our virtual expungement clinic and some other things that are going on in the community that um, impact the juvenile justice system. So we're really excited about this positive event and we hope everyone um, can join us. It's YJAM is online at 3.30 on October 20th, I understand, Martine. Yes, that's correct. Uh, It's uh, October 20th. Um, there's an Eventbrite registration that we can share in uh, later on. And then um, it, it's a great opportunity to learn about really what's going on in our juvenile justice system. And then uh, uh, give the kids the opportunity to share their voice and their, and their themselves authentically. So it, it's a great opportunity. Um, I, shared with Anna that last year was my first year to attend. I just attended and watch and um, it really uh, helped me to to really solidify the work we're doing and how important it is. And it's something I've enjoyed and it's been fun being part of the planning committee this year, definitely, and helping out as, as a representative from Voices as one of the sponsors. Let's dig into this report. Who's helping kids in Utah courts? It's an update to a report that was issued in, in 2019. And from what you all have sent me, I understand you were doing all this through COVID as well. So let's break down this report and find out if we're doing good, bad, or indifferent when it comes to making sure kids are represented in court. And uh, Anna, I'm going to go to you for just a little top view really quickly. And the notion that kids would or would not have representation is now based based in law. And we weren't that great a while ago, I understand. That, that's right. Uh, when we did our first report on this issue, we found out that uh, at least a third of the time, kids were showing up to juvenile delinquency hearings without an attorney. You know, we're talking like 14, 15, 16-year-old kids across the courtroom from a prosecutor trying to talk about their case. Um, And we conducted about almost 200 observations. We drove around the state in olden times and uh, found that kids were often 
waiving their right to an attorney because they knew if they asked for an attorney, it would take longer. If they waited for their attorney to show up, they might have to drive back to the courtroom. So we were we were pretty disappointed and um, and worried about those findings. Luckily, a, a bill was passed the same year we came out with that first report. Um, thanks, Todd Weiler and Indigent Defense Commission. Todd Weiler. That basically said, if you you have to have a public defense attorney if you are a child appearing in court. Like basically all kids need one. Um, and you shouldn't be able to waive that right until like somebody explains to you why you might not want to. Um, so we, uh, so that bill passed in 2019 and we, in, we wanted to go back and see, okay, did it work? Um, are kids better represented? And so, um, we pulled Martine on our team to coordinate the whole project, Fanny, Liliana, and a number of others. Alicia pitched in and did some court observations with us as well. And um, yeah, well, I, I'll defer to my colleagues to talk about what that experience was like and what some of the key findings were. Let's get into some keen findings. Martine, you are the Kids Count Data Analyst at Voices for Utah Children. Did we do better? Uh, we definitely did significantly better. Um, we observed 250 plus court observations. And in each of those, we we're in the 90% that they had a represent a lawyer supporting that juvenile. Um, we had a few unclear, but there was never observed any juvenile waiving their right to an attorney. Um, and it definitely, I think COVID helped in that fact also because attorneys were able to attend virtually. Everyone was virtual. Um, so especially within Utah and our rural counties that combine counties for, for juvenile court, um, and it, you know, the attorneys were present, were able to be on for each case. And um, it'll be interesting to see as we move forward how much virtual hearings may stay and may help the process for juveniles in Utah. Virtual uh, engagement is, I think, here to stay. We're talking about a new report from Voices for Utah Children, who's helping kids in Utah courts. And we're also talking about YJAM. Stick around to find out more. I just wanted to do a top line here on the report. In the past two years, the frequency of Utah children appearing in juvenile court without a defense attorney has decreased from about 33% statewide to less than 5%. And that is just a, a great um, finding, key finding in the report. I'd love to hear from those who observed um, these cases for the study. Let's talk with Liliana Bolaños, who participated as a court observer for the report. Liliana, tell us about your experience and what you were looking for. Maybe share a story or two. Yeah, thank you. Um, it was actually my first time being able to witness um, a court hearing. So I was really excited to see what it was like. And obviously with the pandemic going on, there were a lot of changes that were made. For example, everything was online. Um, and we noticed that that negatively impacted a lot of juveniles that came from low-income families. Um, so we saw issues with um, poor internet connection. Maybe they didn't have the devices that they needed in order to join, or they weren't familiar with those devices. Um, so we were also able to see how these attorneys and caseworkers were, were able to help in those situations. They would oftentimes um, 
plan, come up with a plan with the family members so they could be prepared in time for the court hearings. Um, and that was really great to witness and just goes to show um, why they do need um, those representatives in court. Um, and I, something else I noticed was that the juveniles also seemed a lot more comfortable um, with the option to be able to turn off their cameras. It seemed like they opened up a lot more um, and were able to communicate a little better because of that. Thank you. And now let's go to Fanny DeLucas. Hi. So yeah, it was also my first time being part of a court hearing. And um, one of the things that I observed was just how they were very efficient with translations. There was a lot of families who were obviously Spanish-speaking families, and they were always offered a translator. And if there was any situation where they needed time to like redirect their translation or probably explain in some other type of way, it was always that situation where they would give them the time to re-explain it. They would always ask if they understood if the families were aware of what was going on and they needed a more detailed explanation. So I thought that was really neat for that to always be like an essential. Um, as well as it, I, I did notice that they did ask the kids if they were comfortable. Um, they would always ask them how they felt about the situation, whether it was before or at the end, if they were feeling okay, if they had anything else to say. So I think it was really important to keep those kids involved in whatever they were, were feeling, just because we're online, we can't really see facial expressions, we can't see hand movements. So it's really important to make sure that the kids are always aware and comfortable of what is going on. And if some of them were turning off their cameras, even more so to ask to be proactive in yeah. that regard. Thank you, Fanny. Alicia Derso, coordinator of Utah's Racial and Ethnic Disparities, or RED, Advisory Committee. You had the opportunity to observe a couple of these cases. What did you see? Yeah, I did. I was um, able to sit in, of course, virtually, like everyone else, to observe some of the cases. And again, my first time as well. So uh, I was really happy to see that our um, judges were supportive. The, their legal aides were very supportive of um, making sure that families understood what was going on. I know it probably was weird for everybody, but it seemed that they adapted the, the legal support and the, and the court, they adapted to make sure that the families and the juvenile or the youth were in understanding of what was going on throughout the whole process. Um, that was very comforting to see and for someone, it being my first time, I was like, hmm, okay, this is how it works. Any observations given your role as the coordinator of the Red Committee? Any disparities, issues that you were maybe looking out for or, or were concerned about? Um, language is always a big thing, making sure that um, interpreters are provided to make sure that the understanding of the process is being explained thoroughly. Though I don't speak a second language fluently, I think it's very, represent, representing the whole state, it's very important that everyone has the opportunity to make sure that um, things are explained properly. Uh, for the cases that I saw, I did not see, um, I saw maybe three. So I did see use of color, um, but I don't know all of the ins and outs of everyone else's cases. So I don't necessarily want to say, yeah, there were disproportionately, you know, represent, representation of youth of color. But um, once going through the report a couple of times, maybe that's a question I need to go and circle back and ask uh, circle back and ask Anna. Thank you so much, Alicia and Liliana and Fanny for your observations. As we talk about this report, 
Who's Helping Kids in Utah Courts with our panel today from Voices for Utah Children. Anna and Martine, I'm just curious if you have anything you want to add in terms of observations of the cases as uh, over the course of the study. Yeah, a couple of things. We we met weekly as an observation team throughout the process to kind of share our thoughts. And that's how a lot of our recommendations and observe and our um, key findings came about. One thing I wanted to share that a lot of our observers noted was these are kids, right? And so um, I know I have uh, nieces and nephews who are at the same ages of these kids and it's pretty profound to realize, you know, there was some really intense stuff going on and it was was hard for our observers to watch and pay attention to. And it was good to keep in mind all the time that these are children. um, And that's why we uh, give them chances to change and improve. Um, The other thing that I wanted to note, it's it's a little less positive, but it's an important area for improvement. You know, having an attorney present doesn't necessarily mean that you are getting good legal counsel. So we are not legally trained. We're not attorneys. um, So we can't really say whether kids were getting the best deal or whether they were getting the best advice from their attorney. But we did see things like, um, you know, attorneys that weren't prepared, even though the hearing had been rescheduled over and over or confused about which case they were working on or hadn't talked to their client yet. So that was why we made a recommendation specifically that the next step for the state is to really dig into that. Like, how can we make sure that the quality is there Mm -hmm. to make sure these kids get the best defense that they're legally entitled to? And that's about our public defense system. The bill that was passed in 2019 that you referenced, SB 32, Indigent Defense Act Amendments, has a presumption of indigency for all youth appearing in juvenile court. So they don't have to prove that their family has a um, monetary burden in order to get counsel. You will get an appointed public defender. Doesn't mean you're going to get the best one, though, or the one that has the most time to address (laughs) your child's needs. And that's just one of the reforms you're talking about. Uh, Before we get into some more reforms, I want to know if there's any cat filters that popped up. I'm thinking of the infamous case, court case that made it, that went viral. Uh, uh, (laughs) um, A more senior member of the bar couldn't figure out how to turn off the cat filter, et cetera. (laughs) I'm not a cat, Your Honor. Um, That was high quality. We did see some funny stuff like um, the, the, online equivalent of a kid stomping out of the room, um, oh, hanging wow. up and leaving. Wow. Uh, there was a not so funny domestic altercation that happened mm. during one of the hearings between a parent and a child. Um, I observed at least one shirtless young man appearing before the judge um, <laughs> in all of his youthful glory. Interesting call. Uh, <laughs> so there were like definitely technical stuff. And then, you know, it's, it's a tricky protocol situation for judges. People yeah. are more comfortable, but sometimes it's hard to remember. As Alicia would say, we are doing legal business here, people. <laughs> like, this is a serious situation. Okay, let's talk about some other reforms. I'm guessing there's a couple. Martine, you want to weigh in? I was actually going to comment back on how Anna was saying. The one, I think, you know, what we observe. One thing I noticed, I uh, had a few cases that I observed that... Um, the juvenile was in a detention center. So this was the one opportunity some of the families had a chance to see each other was through the court hearings, which that really hit hard. Um, And 
and at the same time, I, you know, I walked in thinking these judges are going to be, you know, hard handed with them. You know, I just, I had my own biases going in of what, how a judge was going to react and everything. And I have to admit, I was, I was completely surprised. Almost every judge I observed, they were all about, you know, trying to help the kid out. You know, they, they viewed this as an opportunity to make changes and to help the, the children um, correct the issue that they face and, and then be able to move on in life and, and not have this uh, hanging over them. And um, I, you know, I also want to give props out to our um, probation officers. Um, they were, they were really connected. Everyone, almost every probation officer that I observed that, that um, were in the hearing, you know, they, they had a connection with the kid and they really helped also the attorneys to navigate the relationship with the, with the children as well, because uh, they are the ones who are probably working with them the most, even more than their attorney and, um, and with the families. Um, and as we move forward, I think, yeah, if we, if, if the state, I think is, it's critical for the state to look at um, some broadband initiatives to uh, open up um, um, good quality internet service throughout the state, yeah. uh, utilizing um, whatever funding they can to provide um, better quality service. Um, and, but then also if we can move forward with uh, good training, I know they are trying, uh, speaking with a few of the um, indigent commission administrators, you know, they do, they are working on producing training for our public defenders and they're working with national uh, juvenile justice organizations and with federal funding to be, provide training for the attorneys. Um, such a critical aspect that they, you know, now having that any child who goes into delinquency court um, have representation. And it's, it's such a, um, I'm just glad to be, you know, that our state took that step in the initiative. Let's talk about the qualitative aspects of your conclusions. And one of them is about juvenile court judges' expertise at interacting with young people. Anna. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this was kind of complicated, obviously, by being online. But Martin was very generous. You know, like almost all of the judges we saw were great. Um, and then sometimes we did sort of, just as lay people observe that, there were much more effective ways of interacting with kids in terms of cultivating motivation and building trust. You know, when when ki- when teenagers and grownups get in a room, you know, we got to kind of rely on the grownup to be the more mature person. And so I think most judges were, you know, like, oh, I can't really connect with the kid because we're online. Yeah. But we did see some judges do some do a really good job at that. And so we know it's possible. And we think in addition to all the extensive legal training that judges get, 
it's really important to understand youth development, youth motivation, you know, what it means when a kid acts a certain way that's super annoying, but maybe is signaling a different kind of thing. So that was one of our recommendations. And then I also wanted to talk, cycle back a bit to what the uh, courtroom observers talked about in terms of translation access. And that could be a real point of inequity, if not out-and-out inequality in our juvenile delinquency courts, if there isn't reliable, consistent access across the board for all languages, just not the ones that have the most people represented in the system, so to speak. And that's one of the things that we think, I think the online environment was really, really good for. Like Fanny said, it was much easier to have an an interpreter dial in Mm -hmm. from wherever they were than to have to wait or reschedule a hearing because an interpreter was in Salt Lake and then they couldn't get down to, you know, West Valley or whatever. Um, And just building some protocols around that so that the interpreter has the time that they need and that they have best practices for interacting. One thing I wanted to note too is, the interpreter isn't necessarily there when the kid and their family talk to their attorney. Ah. So it's, it's good, like with in the hearings, but in order to really get that full understanding that, um, that our observers were talking about, we might need to expand access to interpreters beyond just the hearings. Before we come back to wrapping our conversation and remind folks about YJAM Youth Justice Action Month, Um, I'm curious about recommendations for youth and families. Fanny, I understand you can speak to that. Yeah, um, I think it's just very important to be able to remind the youth, right, that they should never weigh their rights. I think that's always very, very important to be able to remind the youth wherever they're at, how old they are, whenever they are present in a court hearing, that their rights are very important. So I think they did a really good job at um, reminding them if they wanted to waive their rights or not. But I think it's really important to make that essential, to remind them that they should never waive their rights in a hearing. Martin Munoz from Kids Count, data analyst at Voices for Utah Children. Anything you'd like to add in that regard? Yeah, the other thing uh, towards the recommendation for youth and, and their families is uh, be available for your for the attorney for the your, for the attorney to be able to um, be prepared for a proper defense. You know, they need to meet with the with the juvenile and their family and discuss the issues and 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 create a game plan because it's uh, it's very important, you know, that, that, yeah, big thing is make sure you're available for your attorney and, and the family as well, you know, to, to work with them. Well, everyone, thank you so much for giving us some time to talk about the, the details in Who's Helping Kids in Utah Courts, the report from Voices for Utah Children on Utah's system for ensuring that all children appearing in juvenile delinquency court are represented by a defense attorney, represented well, and have access to the things they need to have a good outcome. Alicia Derso, let's go back to you and wrap with the details one more time on Youth Justice Action Month, YJAM. There's an event coming up we want to let people know about. And uh, and then also understand there's a gala. Maybe Anna Amartine can fill us in on that. Alicia, YJAM on October 20th. October 20th at 3.30 p.m. Um, it's a virtual event. It'll be about an hour of your time. But we're going to be highlighting some positives that happen under the theme, and yet we rise. Um, in the juvenile justice system, all of the positives that have happened over the last chaotic but positive um, pivoting in juvenile justice. We're honoring, we're highlighting, and we're excited to have everyone that can join in, community members, folks who 
are advocates for youth, folks who work in juvenile justice. We would love to see your faces. You can always register at YJAM, that's Y-J-A-M 2021.eventbrite.com. So I'm pretty sure we can provide the link for you guys on the website. Feel free to visit us and um, we look forward to seeing your faces. Thanks, Alicia. We'll put that in the show notes so people can link to it easily at krcl.org. And then Anna Martin, 2021 Children's Champion Awards Gala on October 28th, 7 p.m. Again, you can be on your couch. You should wear a shirt and join. Correct? There is no shirt requirement for our gala. Well, you got to keep the camera off, please. Camera (laughs) off, please, to not distract. Yeah, uh... Martin, October 28th, right? 7, 7 p.m. Should be easy, fun, feature all of our staff. Have We have amazing, just like with YJAM, Alicia mentioned some of the award winners. We'll be recognizing some people in the community that have stood up for kids. It's totally a comfortable tune-in, see it all. Uh, donate if you can, but mainly just, just join us and celebrate some of the progress. And Martine, you know, we're known as the family state, pro-kid, definitely. Uh, yet we need groups like Voices for Utah Children, the work you all do, to support kids uh, when they especially need it going through the juvenile justice system, Martine. Yeah, it's, um, I believe for me and for my colleagues and, and everyone out there, um, to be able to support children, to give them an opportunity and to have the chance to live a great, you know, live, live a life that's, that uh, gives them the opportunities for education, for just good quality time. Um, And especially in that youth age of the adolescence, you know, an adolescent's brain is just so uniquely different and they'll be more than willing to follow friends and take the challenges, not thinking about the consequences, and sometimes that can lead them into the system. And but then to have the opportunity to help them do, um, you know, more of a, re, a reform approach, a social um, healing process, than just fines and community service. Um, I think you know the the opportunities we can have to change our system um, is is very critical and especially right now especially as we nationally see a lot of the inequities in our juvenile justice system um, so it's uh, something that's that's close to my heart that I really hope to work more in and to continue with uh, voices as we champion to help out the children of Utah and give them all the, the opportunity to just have a good life and have a healthy life And that's our panel discussion with folks from Voices for Utah Children, Martin Munoz, Anna Thomas, Alicia Derso, who is the coordinator of Utah's Racial and Ethnic Disparities Advisory Committee, and two of the court observers for the report, Who's Helping Kids in Utah Courts, Liliana Bolaños and Fanny DeLucas. Thank you so much, everybody. Check tonight's show notes for a link to the new report and all the activities for YJAM, Youth Justice Action Month. I'm Laura Jones, and you're listening to Radioactive on KRCL. Time to meet the KRCL DJ. Barbie Garcia is up next, and this is the song she uses to start Vagabond Radio every Tuesday night at 8. 
La Femme by La Femme on KRCL. La Femme by La Femme on KRCL 90.9. And a song that's getting us into our next conversation. It is time to meet the DJ. And joining me, we have Barbie Garcia of Vagabond Radio. Hi, Barbie. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Doing well. And I'm so happy to see you on Zoom, at least, and be able to share your voice with folks. Get a little bit of the origin story of Barbie Garcia and Vagabond Radio. Let's do it. So La Femme, La Femme. A song really representative of what you do on Tuesday nights at 8. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, I play uh, indie tronica music, and that is a band out of Paris. And you were just in Paris, I understand. Did you find more music while you were there? I, that's all I do while I'm there is I listen to music. I end up shazamming things at restaurants. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, I create playlists when I am on vacations, and then I put them together and play them on the show. Well, since you were traveling internationally, how was that? We're still in this pandemic. Did you feel safe? You know, Paris is doing a really great job uh, with the vaccinations. Uh, You cannot dine in anywhere or see a show or engage in any sort of, um, you know, entertainment gatherings if you are not fully vaccinated. So I thought Paris did a really great job. So I got to ask. Your love affair with Paris is apparent. <laughs> yes. Where, when did that start and why? You know, the first time I went to Paris was uh, over 10 years ago, and uh, it just started to become something that I wanted to do every year if I was able to. Uh, when I turned 40, is I told myself that I wanted to spend every birthday in Paris for the next 10 years. Well, happy birthday then. Well, thank you. <laughs> we'll see, though. Yeah. <laughs> So what's the story behind your show title, Vagabond Radio? Uh, I originally came up with that because I wanted my show to have a, a sort of a journey. And uh, when you're you know, in your car and you have your uh, playlist on shuffle, uh, you're kind of vagabonding around. And I wanted it to be eclectic and uh, random. How long have you been a volunteer DJ at KRCL and how did it start? Well, this is funny because eBay and I are still trying to uh, establish how long I've been with you guys. <laughs> uh, but I think we've been saying eight years for the past two years. So maybe we are getting close to 10 years, which is crazy to me. And uh, I actually went straight uh, from being a listener to a DJ on KRCL. And I had a, a, a different time slot. I was on like Thursday at 1 a.m., Oh, yeah. If you'll do 1 a.m. Yeah, yeah. That was me. And it was killing my Friday because, you know, you don't get out of there until three o'clock in the morning. So Um, then I had the 1030 slot on Tuesday and then I took over a Karimiya spot on Tuesday nights at eight o'clock. Do you have a ritual for putting together Vagabond Radio? Well, pre-COVID, yes. And I mean, obviously things are a little different now, but I uh, always the ritual was to start getting the show ready around 5 p.m. on Tuesday and start pulling songs. And it's kind of putting together a musical puzzle. And the songs do have to go together and there's a a flow. And sometimes you have to pull a song out and find another one that would go better with a set. And then um, I was burning CDs at the time. 
<laughs> still doing CDs on my show. And, uh, you know, in between, I'd take a break and then I would drive down to the station and have the show ready to go at 8 p.m. And now, you know, we're recording from home and things are a little bit different. But uh, the method to the madness is still truly the same. All right. For someone who's never heard Vagabond Radio before, I want you to describe it without naming any bands and then give us a handful of foundational bands, songs or eras from which you draw. Um, I, I like beats. I like synths. I like anyone that knows me knows I, I just love a good beat. And a lot of the times I don't know much about these artists. I just know what rings true to me as far as what I like musically. And then after that, I do research on on the band and find out who they are and where they're from. Um, you know, I play some of the stuff that the, the listeners might be familiar with is like LCD sound system and the chromatics. And in between are all of these amazing French, you know, artists, electronic bands out of Berlin, um, Spain. And I just kind of throw in all the stuff that I've been listening to personally, which is obviously what all of us DJs do on KRCL. It's music that, that we listen to and that we love. And then we have the platform of the radio to share it with everyone else. I'm curious how many songs are in your collection, whether that's, you know, oh in real goodness. life or digital. I collect vinyl as well. So I have records at my house. And that's one of the things that I also do when I travel to Europe is I always buy a vinyl when I'm in Paris or try to buy a couple of them. Um, and uh, yeah, so my music collection goes all the way from, you know, buy, one thing I also do is I also buy the artist's music. Uh, I, I always try to support the artist by buying the song that I play on the radio for you guys uh, as, as sort of my contribution to the artist. So, um, yeah, I have music everywhere. I have here on my computer. I have some vinyls. I, ha I still have some CDs, obviously. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm kind of all over the place when it comes to tangible music as well. All right, Barbie, something that listeners would be surprised to know about you, which you might have to dig deep because you do put a lot on social media over the years. I know I was going to say that was actually a really interesting question because I was like, I don't think, but the thing is, I don't think the listeners, not all the listeners follow me. So um, I'm originally from Mexico City. You know, Spanish is my first language. I learned English just by living here and uh, experiencing the culture shock that was Utah for me when I was 10. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and I'm trying for my third language with French, and it's very difficult, but uh, I take pride that I'm trying to learn a different language. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy. And my hat's off to anyone who's out there trying to learn Spanish. I, I think uh, it's really important just to, as long as you try, I think that says a lot about somebody. Yeah. So what is music for or to you? It's as important as breathing to me. It's part of my daily uh, rituals. It's the first thing I do when I'm getting my day going. Um, I, it's therapy. It's pure therapy. Is there a song that changed your life? Purple Rain by Prince. Okay. Tell us the Purple Rain story. I think it was the first time I heard a song that struck such a chord with me that as a young girl, all I could do was just sob. And every time I hear it, it still sparks that, uh, nostalgic, you know, really soft young girl that was so moved by a song like that. It still reminds me of that. Um, 
it doesn't have that effect on me now because I think I'm a bit jaded. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it happens to the best of us. Right? But uh, I still have the memory of, of how it made me feel the first time I heard it. So if you could meet any musician or band in the world, who would it be and why? Oh, well, Bowie, but I don't, you know, obviously that, that won't happen. Um, I would like to have a conversation with Iggy Pop. Oh, yeah, why? I just... The man is so interesting, and I think he also falls into that category of like David Bowie legends. And I just think he would be such an interesting person to get into a deep conversation with. So what do your family and friends say about you uh, being a DJ on KRCL? My friends and family, my son, I hope later on in life, in hindsight, realizes that his mother was very cool. (laughs) Um, Right now, I think he's just kind of like, whatever. (laughs) Um, he's the only person that I ever send a link to every single week because I know that my son actually also likes the music that I listen to. We have very similar tastes in music. And I think that's obviously from having a 20 year gap with your child. And I'm just hoping to stay cool for a really long time if it's possible. So what is the power of community radio to you? OKRCL has been like a family to me. Even prior to being on the air, I was such a fan that the fact that this opportunity was offered to me, I felt like I was going to be part of something that I was already feeling a part of. So community radio for me is a way to connect. Um, it's giving, it's given me the platform that I never thought I would have. And, uh, and the listeners are pretty loyal. Well, let's go out with the song Vagabond Radio Style. Why don't you set it up, introduce it and take us out? Yeah, this is a track by Public Memory. He's an artist that I discovered through the internet. Uh, I believe he does all his music in-house at his house, which I think a lot of artists are doing nowadays. And this track is entitled Afterlife. My name is Barbie Garcia. I'm the host of Vagabond Radio on Tuesdays from 8 to 10.30 p.m. here on 90.9 KRCL. And that's Afterlife by Public Memory, a song chosen by Barbie Garcia, host of Vagabond Radio, Tuesday nights from 8 to 10.30 right here on KRCL. Democracy Now! coming up at 7, Emily's Mixtape at 8, Maximum D with Forgash and Cody D at 10.30, Root Awakening at 1 with Liz, and Start Your Brand New Day with John Florence at 6. Listen on demand to the last two weeks of any show, including Radioactive, online at krcl.org. I'm Laura Jones, and thanks for listening to Radioactive tonight. I'm going to leave you with Witness, Benjamin Booker, and Mavis Staples on KRCL. Come on.